to World's Week, you're going to enjoy the world a lot better if you enter the betterrunningshoes.com. That's our new shoe review site prediction contest. You can win some amazing Sunto watches. These are top-of-the-line GPS watches. Enter today. Link in the show notes. It's very easy. You don't even know much about Worlds. This will help you understand the meat more. Welcome to the Let'sRun.com Track Talk Podcast. We are four days out from the 2023 World Athletics Championships in Budapest, and we're bursting at the seams with excitement. We're going to have boots on the ground coverage from Budapest starting on Friday, as well as video interviews, written recaps, analysis, quick takes, all that good stuff, plus daily podcasts. If you're not a member of the Let'sRun.com Supporters Club yet, current members, thank you, we love you. You're going to want to sign up right now. Our post-meet shows were some of our most popular podcasts in 2022. You can only get on-demand access to all of our podcasts from the 2023 Worlds by joining the Supporters Club at letsrun.com slash subscribe. Today's show, all about Worlds. We'll preview the top events. We'll make some predictions about what we expect to unfold in the next two weeks. Will a thing Mo run? Will Shakari Richardson earn gold? Can Faith Kip Yegon, Noah Lyles, and Jakob Ingebrigtsen win doubles? Carsten Warholm or Rye Benjamin in the 400 hurdles? So much stuff to get to. It's going to be a terrific show. Perfect thing to get you prepped for Worlds, which begin on Saturday. It starts right now. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by Robert Johnson. Weldon Johnson calling him from vacation. The podcast stops for no one. Guys, welcome to the show. I can't wait. I'm super excited, John, and I hope our visitors are excited. We want to hear how excited you are. Give us a call, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google. You can pick up the phone and reach us, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Been a great week here in the mid-Atlantic home of let'srun.com, Baltimore. My beloved Ravens have extended their preseason win streak to 24. My guy, Ezekiel, has found a new home, John, with your New England Patriots. I hope that rise to the top now. He's part of a championship program and i'm excited to get on a plane fly first class as usual to the worlds i'm dying with the supporters club members that's a joke people but let's get right to it enough small talk i'm going to start with a simple question and this is for welton as i was driving out to the office this morning i already asked this question for john and he nailed it. And I said to John, wow, I didn't think that there was, could be possibly be more than two people on this earth that had the exact same brain as me. Could be this smart. But there's now three. There's me, my genetic eagle, Weldon, and John. And then I thought about it. And I said, no, I think actually John may be replacing Weldon as my brother now in terms of intellect and everything. Because John, I think the same almost in all these key aspects of running. Well, then the question is simple. 2023 Worlds, which athlete has the most to gain and lose in this championship? And it's a two-part question. 
What do you mean with the two-part question? Well, I kind of should I give him a hint, John? I, I didn't really phrase that very well, did I? Robin is trying to say he thinks this person is the same athlete. This is the athlete who most had both has the most to gain and the most to lose. Okay, it's just seems like a one-part question, but well, I didn't even give John that hint. He just nailed it immediately. It didn't even take this long, John. That's why. I just feel like hey, give him a chance to answer. No. Well, well, Weldon's probably, he's a little slow. The two babies, he's a little, he's missing sleep, John. His brain's just not operating on the same cylinders as you. Noah Lyles. Oh, my new sound effects, I don't have the bing, bing, bing. Really? Yes. It's really clear. Like, if you think about these worlds, I was like, who's got the most to gain? And I'm like, Noah Lyles, if this guy does what he's been mouthing off about what he's going to do, night, give me the times that he said he was going to run, John. 9.65 and 19.10. If he does that, he's almost certainly a double gold medalist. He's almost certainly the 200-meter world record holder. What do you mean, He almost certainly? He would be the 200-meter world record holder if he runs 19.10. No, somebody else could run 1905 or okay, 1899. Right. Yeah, and that would be wild. What if he runs those times and <laughs> loses both races? But he would be certainly an American legend, a, a track and field legend. Admittedly, he doesn't have the Olympic gold, but he, he would be Bolt heading into next year's Olympics. I mean, every he, he, he would just all oh, hype, all the talk, everything we got in 2021 that didn't happen. Okay, that was disappointing, but put it up a, a level. It was just delayed two years. So he's obviously got a lot to gain. But then I was thinking about it, you know, and we had it on the podcast with Michael Johnson a few years ago. There's a lot of really young talent Tobogo, Arian Knighton. These guys are not that far away from him. Tobogo was only 0.03 off of him a few weeks ago and was gaining on him at the end of the race. If one of them happens to beat this guy, beat Lyles, particularly in the 200, that means that he, I mean, I, I, if Lyles loses the 200, if, if Lyles loses the 200, he's probably most certainly going to lose the 100. Th then he's like, what? No, the person who beats him, the team phenom or the 20 year old that beats him, is the future of the sport. Everyone's going gaga over him. Lyles is kind of. I don't want to say like an Anna Kornikova because he's more accomplished than she was, but... That, Robert, that's an insult to even include them in the same sentence. Noah Lyles is a two-time world champion. He's the American record holder in the 200 meters. Come on. Anna Kornikova never won a pro tournament. But she looked great when she showed up at the IGA Super Thrift Tennis Classic when I was there at age 22, working in the PR department. No, I, I see what you're saying, John, but... It's devastating to him, right? If he doesn't win the 200-meter gold, I mean, well, if he wins the 100-meter gold, he'd probably be, <laughs> be happy. I mean, it would be devastating. The true thing, if, I mean, the, he's already won this title twice, though. What would be truly devastating is if he, do, if he doesn't win Olympic gold next year. That's the thing. I think when you say most to lose, he has a significant amount to lose if he loses the 200 because that's his baby. He's been dominant in it. But if he loses this one in world's in the 200 and wins the olympics i don't think people are going to be freaking out about it too much but i think your point is if he loses the 200 of this meet 
it's probably going to be someone younger than him who would make him the underdog at the Olympics next year. Without a doubt. And I would, we would need to call Michael Johnson immediately or track him down in Budapest and say, are you laughing now at my prediction? And I don't for know the- which way it's going to go. I mean, the world record could go for him, but I also could see him getting beat. I kind of have this feeling that he is going to rise up, but he did know. last year. I feel good about him in the 200. I think he's going to run 19.2 or faster. Uh, and maybe it's I'm a little biased. I got a screener of the Noah Lyles documentary they're putting out on Peacock. They're releasing it on Friday. And it's not, you know, a completed version. It's not finalized with some of the edits. But, I mean, he's saying some stuff in there. He's very, very confident. He said his training's been better than last year. He said by a lot. His training's been better by a lot. They timed everything perfectly for the Worlds last year in the 200. He's hoping to do the same thing this year. And then, obviously, you know, he's going out on Instagram saying he can run 19.1. Now, he's not going to run 19, sorry, 9.65. That's not happening. He's not PRing by two-tenths. But it does show that he's confident right now. Yeah, I would, I'm pre- I would predict he wins Worlds in 19.2 in the 200. I think the question is, can he win the 100? And can he break the world record? Uh, or does he lose? Like you said, Robert, I guess I'm not taking it for granted, but I feel, no, this guy, he just never loses. Even in Monaco, he showed that sign of weakness with Tobogo running him down late, but Lyles has gotten it done on the big stages. Tobogo hasn't at the senior level yet. And Lyles still won the race. We're saying, oh, Tobogo was closing him down, but Lyles still won. So I give him credit for that. All right, John, Robert, I put this question to you guys. What percent of the time do you think he loses the 200? I would say about 15% of the ch- time. I, John said something like he never loses. Like, And Lyle said this, I'm a winner. No, you're not, buddy. Were you, were you a winner in Tokyo? No, no, you weren't. I love how these people think I'm a winner. I always win. No, you don't. You, go, you lost to a high scorer in the 100 this year. You're normally a winner in the 200. And I, I'm kind of surprised John's so confident he's going to run 19-2. But I did look it up last year. Going into Worlds, he'd only run 1961, right? Then he ran 1930, 1931? Yeah, he's just, just he's run 1947 going into Worlds. He's run, this is, these are his fastest times before a championship that he's ever done. So I feel good about him rising to the occasion and running his best. He, 2021, that was, he wasn't himself in Tokyo. He didn't run his best. And I guess you can hold that against him, Robert, but I'm, Choosing to look at Eugene last year, and I think he's a little bit better than he was last year. Now, John could be in the tank here, well, then, because he got an exclusive look to some Noah Lyles documentary here. And I got to give John credit for admitting that on air, Weldon. A little bit behind the scenes story yesterday. It's a sidebar here. We had an, Justin Knight has left Reebok and has signed with Nike and joined the Bowerman Drag Club. John spoke to him. John heard about this months ago, but. They never announced it. John spoke to Justin. Well, I heard a rumor a month ago. Yeah. Which I had to confirm. John called up Justin and spoke to him, I think, last week. And Justin's like, but I don't want you to go public this time. I've announced it. So I put that statement in the article. John spoke to him last week and agreed not to publish it. And John's like, oh, I didn't have it in there because it doesn't make us look good. I'm like, so you just want to... Hide it. John reminds me kind of Anthony Fauci. He doesn't want people to like him know that he once said, you should not be buying masks before he said, you must be buying masks. I mean, yeah, it doesn't look good when we're saying, oh, we had this news. But, but the, 
reason why we held it is the only condition that was a condition of getting the interview. Justin would not have granted the interview if he we didn't agree to hold the story. But like the CBC had a story on their website too. They had to agree to the same conditions. They didn't mention that at all. So I guess Robert would accuse them of covering up information. But to me, I don't know. I didn't view it as super important, but uh, I that's how, I admit that's how the story played out. Go back to Noah Lyles. John, you nailed it. There's legal sports betting on this in the United States. Depends on the state. Sorry, New York. No odds in New York. But I was in Connecticut yesterday. They got odds. I'm looking at something called PlaySugarHouse.com. Noah Lyles, minus 286, which means he's 74% to win. So essentially, just like John said, one out of four times, he loses the World Championship 200, and the story of Noah Lyles is very different than what we expect. So I think it is really a pivotal World Championship for him. I disagree with Robert. The guy is shown to be a gamer every year, every time, except for the 2021 stuff where he said, you know, it was after the COVID lockdown, he's on antidepressants. But nothing's for granted in this sport. You got to go out and earn it. And there's a lot of question marks in the 100. I mean, looking at the 100, I could pull up the numbers, but I fully expect him to make the final. But that's not even for granted. All these guys are clustered in the 9-9s this year, essentially. So... A lot to gain for Noah Lyles at this World Championships. But if he loses the two, I don't think you then have all the stories on him next year heading into the Olympics. Well, it maybe it depends on who he loses to. It could be the Redemption Tour, I'm back. But very interesting World Championships for him. But it's kind of interesting, Weldon, because NBC likes to have their media darlings going into these games. You know, they'll hype up. If he loses the 200, if Sidney McLaughlin Lavroni doesn't run the 400, well, she's not running this meet. She's out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And if a thing Mo decides to skip, who are they going to hype up going into the Olympics? I mean, I guess it would probably be Mo and McLaughlin Lavroni because they're probably not going to skip that meet too. But I don't know. You like to have like a reigning world champion as the kind of the star you're, you're hyping up. Maybe Fred Curley shows up and wins the 100 again, and then he's the guy. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But also, maybe, maybe we are doing this a bit too much. What if Noel Lyles runs really fast and loses? You still can then hype up like, oh my God, this guy's still the real deal, but some young kid barely beat him. Well, if he runs really fast and loses, that's your storyline right there. You've got two all-time greats squaring off in Paris and Lyles is going for the gold versus you know, a new phenom. That would be a great storyline for the beat. All right, enough about the 200. Let's go to the men's 100. This event, I feel like there are eight or nine guys who could win this event realistically. Zanel Hughes is the world leader at 983, but he's never gotten it done on the big stage before. He full started the Olympic final. He's had some full start issues in other championships in the past. But he's made this amazing breakthrough in 2020, in, at the age of 28 under Glenn Mills, Usain Bolt's former coach. Then you got Fred Curley, the reigning world champion, silver medalist in Tokyo 2021, was winning all of his races until his last race in Silesia. He shows up and he gets beat and he doesn't look all that good. So you're wondering, is he vulnerable? Ferdinando Magnola of Kenya is around four. He has won the Monaco Diamond League, but a lot of his times are inflated because of altitude. Let's see Tobogo, 
the young phenom, but again, he hasn't done it in the senior level. Akane Sabine keeps winning, but is Akane Sabine really going to be the world champion? He still hasn't medaled at this point in his career. He's always in the final. Then you got Lyles. Christian Coleman hasn't been himself since the suspension. I mean, Robin, if you had to pick one guy, who are you going with in this event? Marcel Jacobs? Did you mention I hope that's not your answer. Marcel Jacobs is the Olympic champion, but from 100-meter race in all of 2023, he's been injured. In that race, he only ran 10.21 in Paris. He didn't look close to the world champ- to his Olympic champion form. I wanted to bring him up because no athlete has changed, in my mind, more at the Olympics, I thought he was the most obvious fraud ever. And then when he showed, I'm like, oh, he probably, if he's smart, he'll never race again. And then he's, I know some people think, oh, he ducked out on Worlds last year because he was hurt. But no, this guy to me loves to race. He ran Worlds indoors last year, won it in the 60, and then ran Commonwealth and Europeans after missing Worlds when he could have just shut down the season. This year he's been hurt a lot. But if he does show up in the start line, it's just such a sharp, stark contrast to, what Sydney McLaughlin does. So I really hope that he does show up and has a good world. Well, remember, but, the reason why he took up the 100 in the first place is because he kept getting injured doing the long jump. Then he goes to the 100, almost an immediate success. But now we're seeing him have these injury problems in the 100 meters as well. So he's a wild card, but I just... Right, someone who's run 100 meter race all year is going to come in and win worlds. I don't see it. I guess the argument would be if it's going to happen in any year, 2023 is the year to do it because no one has really separated themselves from the pack and no one's run under 9-8 either. Interesting that Godsum Oganebrume, the NCAA runner-up for LSU SEC champion, is not entered even though he's run 990 for Nigeria. This thing's wide open. To me... Uh, Weldon's probably got the betting odds. I think Hurley should be the favorite. He's had a good season, right? Well, he's had a good season until his last two races. Okay. He was winning. I guess, I guess if you're going to make the case for Curley, championship performer, lost to Golden Silver, lost two championships. No one can match that. And he was winning a lot on the circuit until his last two races. Now, he wasn't running particularly fast, but no one was running particularly fast. So if you're banking on him, you're just saying, okay, we haven't seen the best of Fred Curley, but here are his races this year. 9.88 in the first round at Yokohama, as he's no opener in May. 9.91 in the final. 9.94 win in Rabat. 9.94 win in Florence. 9.98 second in Silesia. So, so he didn't get beat by a whole lot in Silesia. But he also hasn't dropped like a nine seven or nine eight that he was, you know, that he did last year at USA's. Yeah, but USA's is the fastest track in the country. That's why everyone who thinks that Noah Wiles is going to run so much faster. Do we know that the Budapest track is as fast as fast as the Eugene track? No, we don't. I mean, Curley had a very good season, first, 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 and then he gets second, and then people are mad that he doesn't win the two hundred. He looked great in the two hundred USA's. He just had a bad start. He can't run the turn because of his injury. So. 1986 into a headwind. I think he's in good shape. He's your favorite. So, but it, it, it's God. Can I, maybe I should get some money on that? The more I think I'm talking myself into this. What are the betting odds on him? 
Yeah, on Bovada, Fred Curley's the favorite I... at plus two. Okay. What? Sorry, just go. On Bovada, Fred Curley's the favorite at plus 260, followed by Noah Lyles, plus 450. Let's seal Tobogo, plus 550. Zanel Hughes, plus 550. So it's pretty uncommon to have the favorite in an event at plus 260. But Robert, if you if you feel confident in Fred Curley, those are great odds, and I would bet them if I'm you. If I'm you. Implied win rate of 27.8%. Interesting, guys, because on sugarhouse.com, I assume DraftKings will have similar odds, which is, these are U.S. betting sites. Curly is plus 170, which means they expect him to win about 37% of the time. So there's a 10% difference here. I mean, look at these odds for the other guys on Sugar House. Tobogo, plus 700. Hughes, plus 700. Omanyala, plus 800. So one out of seven, one out of seven, one out of eight times they win it. Really good odds for the foreigners. See, you want to bet the foreigners on the U.S. site, bet uh, Curly on Bovada. All right, most of our viewers are not Sprint fans, or they're more distance fans than Sprint fans. We don't want to talk too much about the Sprints, but we got to talk about the women's 100. I mean, Shakari moves the needle for me so much. This is her first Worlds. Her first, Olymp- her first global championship, right? Hard to believe. As much as this woman's been in the news over the years. Despite what people say, she is a big meat performer. She won NCAAs as a freshman. She won the Olympic trials before getting popped in the marijuana test. Can she get it done? Elaine Thompson-Sahara is not there, the Olympic champion. She only runs well in the Olympic years. Shelly Ann Frazier-Price... Sherika Jackson, Talu, really are the people there. Looking at the odds here on Bovada, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I don't want to bias you by them, guys. Who would you say is the favorite here? Oh, I've seen the odds. I think those might be made here, Robert. Because to me, the favorite is Sherika Jackson. She's the clear world leader, 10.65 at the Jamaican Trials. She's been beaten by Shakari multiple times in the Diamond League circuit, but... Her last European tour, I think she was just showing up to get the prize money or the appearance fees and training through it. She, to me, has that very high ceiling. 10.65, that's not a joke time. She ran that time for 100 meters. Shakari has not been able to do that yet. So, And Sharika Jackson, all right, Shakari, I think it's still TBD if she's a big performer. Some meets she's run great at. Last year's USA's, she didn't even make it out of the first round. Sorry, Rob. A big meat performer doesn't bomb in the first round at USA's. So TBD on Shakari. Sharika Jackson, she shows up. What did she do last year? Silver medal in the Worlds behind Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. Okay. And then she wins 21.45, wins the 200. Fastest non-Flojo time ever. She's an Olympic medalist. Sharika Jackson is a big meat performer. So add that to the 10.65 plus Shelly Ann Fraser-Price admitting that she's injured. I would have Jackson as my favorite. You got Jackson as your favorite, who's been beaten by Shakari twice this year, John? Yes. Jackson, who's run 10.65 at the Jamaican Trials. Yes, I would have her as my favorite. I mean, okay. well, let me just say this. Someone has a total meltdown and gets eliminated in the semifinals at the World Championships. That's not on the table for Sharika Jackson. She's making the final. Shakari, I could see it happening. So I'm baking it a little bit. Just I trust Sharika Jackson more than I trust Shakari. 
What about Shelly Ann? Uh, she, she's the wild card, right? I mean, if she hadn't said that she's still dealing with this injury, I would, I would maybe have her as the favorite because she's run 10.282 and 10.83 in her two races this year. She's won both. And she's won six global titles. It's six or seven. I lose track. 08, 09, 12, 13, 15, 19, 22. She's won 700 meter titles. So talking about big meat performers, I mean, she's the greatest we've ever seen in this event. But she's 36, and she said, you know, she's battling this in this knee injury. So that's me makes it. Maybe I shouldn't doubt her, but if she's openly saying she's been affected by this, yeah. you know, can she get to low 10.7s or the 10.6 high that it's going to take to win? She's saying that right now, John? She was saying that around the time of her season opener. Yeah. And she's almost even money, 11 to 10 odds. It's kind of crazy. Like, I just think there's value in not betting her because she's 36. Whatever. And that leaves, so if she doesn't win, who wins? You're basically getting Sharka Jackson at 17% odds. She carries even higher, 15% odds. The second person on Bovada is Mary Jo Jose Talu, who has never won Worlds, is only won three medals. She's finished fourth at two Olympics. I mean, she's had a great career, she's, but she's 34. Do we really think she's going to win her first world title at 34? But if you look at her results this year, her season's amazing. Impressive. In our mindset, we don't think of her as a champion. She's pretty much, she lost at Mount Sac to start the season, and then she's undefeated since then. Smoking Sharika Jackson in London. But for me, this is the world championships. This isn't a diamond league. There's rounds. What's your ceiling? We've already seen Jackson run 10.65 this year. I mean, that's faster than... Wait, that's faster than Shelly Ann's ever run? No, Shelly Ann's run 10.60. Okay. Thought that was typo here. But still, you run 10.65, you're probably the world champion. Tulu, I mean, she's never run on the 10.6s. I guess Shakari hasn't either, so... It's why this is this is why this this is the arguably the premier event at the World Championships this year, depending on you know what your outlook is. But this is the one there's going to be a lot of buzz with, about because oh Robert shaking his head. Robert Michael Johnson, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, not a couple years ago, as you said, said this is his most anticipated event. You've got Shakari who, who generates buzz. You got Shelly and the goat. And then you got Sharika who's you got to do it in the 100 to really turn people's heads. And you got Tulu trying to finally come through. And, I mean, hell, Alfred, she hasn't lost 100 this year still. Yeah, well, you're right. I don't know why Robert's making this sourpuss face. From a global standpoint, like just casual fans, women's 100 is probably going to be the most anticipated, most exciting event. For the distance fans on Let's Run, we might look at other ones. But... This event is going to be enormous. Like you said, the Shikari star power. 
there are four women who could legitimately win. And then you you say, Alfred, I mean, maybe we make it five. She's the only woman who's beaten Shakari Richardson this year. She would have broken Shakari's NCAA record at NCAAs. The wind had been a little friendlier. She's run, you know, 10-7 low three times. It's just been positive wind every time. She could be right there. The wild thing to me is Shakari Richardson could run a great race in the World Championship final. And she could end up off the podium because Talu could beat her. Jackson could beat her. Fraser Price could beat her. And Alfred has already beaten her. So I can't wait for this. I think it's going to be fantastic. It's probably going to take right around 10-7-0 to win, I would expect. If I had to make one pick, it's I think I'm going Sharika Jackson, which is kind of a reversal because when Shikari Richardson beat her in Poland, I was saying, oh, Shikari, she keeps winning. But I don't know. The more I think about it, that ceiling with the 10 6 5, I don't know. I think she's a championship performer and she's shown that potential already. I think she gets there and runs faster than everyone in Budapest. I'll point out the 10 6 5 that she ran had a 1.0 win, which converts to 10 7 1, which is what Shikari's run this year. So it's really, really even. All right. In terms of like most anticipated races, I mean, it's almost hard to come up with one if it's not this race because there's so many good races. Now, one race did take a step back, but it was good for the Americans. Jacob Caprimo has pulled out of the 10 and the 5, pulled out of Worlds with an injury. This is the World Cross Country Champion, the World Half Marathon Record Holder. This, to me, changes a lot of things. Makes it much more likely that Woody Kincaid's going to have a miracle in the 10,000 because before you had like three or four studs. Do you think it would really take a miracle for Woody Kincaid? To me, it would just take a yes, slow pace. Yes, it would pace. take a miracle. Like, is, you miracle. Say, do you think a slow pace is a miracle? Like, I don't know if you've seen the forecast for Budapest, Robert. It's going to be like 90 degrees plus every day. Now, be a little cooler at the time of competition. It's going to be warm at this meet. Do I think that Woody Kincaid is going to hang in a race? And if it's warm, that makes it even harder. It might even make it harder for him. The Western athlete's bigger to hang in the race with Caprimo, Aragawi, Cheptegay, and Brega. They've all run in the 12, low 1240s this year. You know Aragawi likes to handle hammer it. You know Caprimo likes to hammer it. I don't think he'd be anywhere close to the bell, anywhere close to the lead at the bell. Now, with Caprimo out, there's just a lot less incentives to hammer the pace. I think it helps him greatly. What do you mean there's less incentive to hammer the pace? There's just less, there's not as many people that are, are going to want to push it. And you need people alternating the lead, helping each other out. The women's 10K could also be a classic. You've got Letzenet, good A, the world record holder, the defending champion. You've got Goodoff Segei, the 5,000 champion. You've got Safan Hassan, the Olympic 10,000 champion. Right, John? Am I right about that? She's won so I can't remember when she tripled. What do you mean you can't remember when she tripled? This was one of the most hyped Greatest accomplishments in the history of distance running. We talked about it nonstop for the 2021 Olympics. Two years, you were there, Robert. I was with you in Tokyo. 
She tripled at the Olympics. She won gold in the fifteen in the five k and the ten k, bronze in the fifteen. Yes, I did get it right, but I think it's because I almost viewed it as like a cheap code. Like, how could someone be good that good at that many events? And in women's running, in the historically, the, the top women have been so much better than everybody else. It hasn't been quite as interesting as the men's. But now I see the cheat code in the men's side with Ingebrigtsen. He could probably run all three. And the women's side is getting much more. There's just so many studs. And one thing that I don't think I don't think this is a race we've even talked about because normally the five thousand to me it doesn't get the same buzz as the ten. It's like the two hundred compared to the one hundred because you don't know who's going to double back. It's at the end of the championships. The ten k is the primo in terms of the long distances. But here's a question I have for you. The women's 5,000, well, you were talking about the women's 100, like you could be around a great race and finish fourth. The women's 5,000, theoretically, should have four gold medalists in it. Has that ever happened in a distance race at Worlds? John, you're the one with this photographic memory. Maybe it happens all the time. You guys gonna I couldn't think of it. You're going to have Segei, the 5,000 champion. You're going to have Son, the 10,000 champion. You're going to have Kip Yegon, um, the 15 meter champion and 5,000 world record holder. And then you're going to have um, Hassan, right? No, I already That's said Hassan. Uh, Can you close the door? G'day. Go get Hassan, G'day, Kip Yegon. And Sagai. That's four. Sagai. Right? Yeah. In the history of the sport, has that ever happened? I'm trying to think, man. I mean, I think there's been races where you've had four people stuck? who would go on to win gold medals but for actual gold medalists i'm trying to think it, it, and and, and, had, so so the, the, not only that and if it is if it has happened it's probably you know people way past their prime you said went on to it this is the perfect question for the message board it's also a perfect question for some computer yeah, analysis but i'm gonna post it on the message board but i just think like this could be this is historically good let's appreciate it and then, my God, the men's 5,000 has got so many names. Like, there's just so many things that are so exciting. But, you know, I don't want to lie. I think you're the same way. One of my most excited was distance-wise, just watching Ian Britson. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked we've about been... this race all year, right? It feels like every podcast, men's 1,500 at Worlds, what does this mean for Jakob's chances? He didn't win last year. That's been the storyline all year is can he come back and run it from the front and win this thing? I wrote a lengthy preview debating this whole issue. I think he does. I think you have to be a lot better than everyone else to front run a win in a world championship final in the 1500. I think Jakob is a lot better than everyone else. His season's best, 327-14, more than a second and a half faster than everyone else. He's blasting the ends of his races. You know, he's not even being challenged in these things, and he's still running as fast or fast, faster over the last 100, 200 than anyone else. You know, can he change gears like a white man? Maybe not, but I mean, he's changing gears pretty well for a guy who isn't reputed to have a lot of speed. So I think, I think he gets it done. I think he wins it, and I think he wins the 5K too. John, why'd you have to bring race into it? Change gears like a white man? Oh, Jake Whiteman. Just kidding. Robert, you never miss an opportunity to make a ham-fisted race analogy or pun or something like that. So 
kudos for keeping that up. I want to go on the record. I think he's going to win the 1500 too because I've been the one, the, the longest worried about the pace. You know, I'm the one that came up with, I'm worried about it on the 1500, but he seems unbeatable in the 5000. Then if he wins the 1500, though, we'll be watching the 5000 and be like, you guys better be slamming this pace down. Although if it's really hot, it might hurt him. But be like, okay, you're committing suicide if you let him just sit, sit near this thing. But he, again, he hasn't run a 5000 this year. You'd assume he's in good shape. So it's just going to be a mesmerizing world. I can't wait to break it down every night for everybody who's a supporters club member. If you haven't well, signed up, up, hell, sign up for a month. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Buy a pair of shoes. It'll pay for itself if you're an American because you get 20% off your shoes. Robert, two questions for you. So I'll start with the 1500s specifically. If someone beats him, who is it? Like, map out the scenario. If Ingebrigtsen loses in the 1500, how does it happen? Someone checked the voicemail. Has Josh Kerr come in? I, I went off on you on, on the Friday podcast. It's going to be Josh Kerr. I, I think the man most likely to beat him is Josh Kerr. Jo- Josh Kerr has been really going – he's doing the opposite of what he's done. he did last year. Last year he talked a big game, and you know he got the Olympic medal. Last year he talked big the whole season. He talked big throughout the rounds. He was wearing gold sunglasses, and then – he got fifth in the final, which isn't terrible. But this year, he's been under the radar. I, I don't know. Like Again, this would make me nervous, John. It's like when you read about Shelly Ann saying she's been injured. Like, has he been injured? But his results in the 1500 have been quite impressive. 330.07 outdoor season opener in Oslo on June 15th, and then 329.64 on June 30th. So he's gone six weeks, make it seven, by the time Worlds rolls around, or six, six and a half, seven weeks probably, before he's raced, if he's been holed up, he did run at 800 at the British Trials and it was 146. I know that's not great, but if he's holed up, getting super strong, and is ready to run 328 mid in this race, that's not easy to do, John. Right, but Robert, I don't understand... Josh Kerr's a great runner. I think he could medal in this race. Maybe he beats anything Brickson. I don't understand why you're zeroing in on he's the guy to do this. Yara Nagus has run faster than him. Yara Nagus has run 390, 329.02. It's a lot faster, well, half a second faster than Kerr. He's also run 330.4. He won a Diamond League that featured many of the best guys, except for Inga Brickson. To me, there are a bunch of guys who are in this sort of group. I don't see why Kerr is the most likely upset guy. I think I, if I'm going to pick anyone to beat Ingebrigtsen, I'm going to pick Nagus. Thank you, John. Roger is the guy who hyped your Nagus for years, and now that he's the world number two, like we haven't even mentioned him, Roger will probably start talking about like the potential of Cole Hawker, right? Let's play classic let's run though, right? Like, it's the underdog. The American are going to break through. Then once they're at the top, you take them for granted. I think Nagus... I see how Robert likes the appeal of a Kerr, somebody else coming through. But maybe it's like in thinking about how, what type of race do you think he loses on? Do you think like he lets it go too slow and it's a fast sub, final 700 and that and that's not Jakob's game? Or do you think he's more likely to lose? He pushes from like 1,200 out. He pushes too hard, doesn't get the pace exactly right and somebody kicks by him at the end. Or do you think he just pushes like 1,200 to go and just serves as a rabbit to somebody and somebody out kicks him? I think there's sort of three scenarios. 
I think I think he's very good at measuring the pace. So I think if he's just in control and has the lead from you know for the last two laps and he's controlling the pace the way he wants to, I think he wins that scenario. I think the way he gets beat is if someone just throws a monkey wrench in his game plan. And what that, that happened last year. It was Timothy Chariot trying to surge with him on the third lap. And Jakob had to keep upping the pace and not go as smooth as he wanted to fight him off for the lead. I think that's what allowed Jake Whiteman to beat him because Whiteman wasn't getting caught up in those surges. Ingebrigtsen was. So I think that is the recipe for beating him is if someone drops like a 53 in the middle of the race and tries to drop him or it does some crazy surge and Ingebrigtsen gets caught up in it. And I'd like to see how Ingebrigtsen responds because you would think after seeing how last year played out, he just would back off and be like, all right, you take the lead. I'll just run you down because I know how to tie myself and I know how to measure my effort better than anyone else. So, and also, if someone's dropping a 53 in the middle of the World Championship final, they're probably not going to win. More likely, that's just going to torpedo their own race. I don't know if anyone will be willing to do that. I mean, maybe some of these guys just say, screw it, why would I attack Jakob? I'm just going to back off and try to run for a medal. Maybe they're realistic about that. I don't know. But I think that's the way he loses if someone just totally screws him up. I think he's good enough to just drop everyone if he's going for the last two laps. He's a, What he's got going for him is he's amazingly good at pace. Even at the junior level, he was good at letting people gap him and just keep running his own race. But he was stupid last year. He, he, tried, he fought for the lead the whole time. The last time he let someone else lead the 1500 in the global championship, he won it, Tokyo. You know, so I don't know why he didn't do that. The difference here is there's no pace light. There's no wave light. He's got to get it right on himself. There's a little bit and mental energy trying to think about what your pace is. And what, which type of race do you think we'll see if he front runs a win is, wins it? Will it be like a 2019 chariot where he's gapped the field or will it be like a 2019 Hassan where Hassan does what did exactly what Ingerbitz has been doing on the diamond leagues, takes it slow the first turn and then works her way up gradually to the lead and just squeezed it down from there. I think it's more likely to be the Hassan type race, which seems like, I, I feel like if that's the case, if he's just gradually taking the lead, people will let him probably have the lead, but there could be some, I could see some fighting maybe, like a lot of guys want to get in that second position, so maybe they're trying to fight for it and he has to go out a little bit too fast, but I think someone's going to eventually just let him they're going to cede the lead to him because I think that they don't want to be wasting their own energy. But the reason why, look, Nagus or his odds better than Kerr, the betting odds certainly should be, and they are, 12 to 1 versus 50 to 1. Which one am I betting on? If I bet, definitely Josh Kerr because Nagus's odds are better. I don't think they're four times better to win this thing. Agree with you there. Classic Roja, a guy who's 2% is his favorite to, to make the upset. But I think maybe to pay tribute to Josh Kerr, the fake Josh Kerr, Roger's got to put a little money on him. Ingerbitsen also the favorite. He's essentially seven out of eight times to win the 1500, three out of five times to win the 5K. So he's favored in both events. Right, and that gets to something I wanted to ask you. The second question I had, I'll throw it to Robert Amwell then. I'm setting a line 
Over under combined gold medals, Jakob Ingebrigtsen and Faith Kip Yegon. Three and a half. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? I'm taking the under if I'm bad. If you're making me bet. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking the under. Because Explain yourself. I, I will. How many are a sure thing? One. Kip Yegon in the 1500. As I mentioned earlier, that women's 5,000, we assume because she's so good at the 1500 and so fast and is the world record holder in the 5,000 that she's going to, that she's even probably more unbeatable or that she's unbeatable in the 5,000. I don't think she's more unbeatable in the 5,000 than the 1500 because you've got three other gold medalists, Hassan, Sigay, and Gidde, all in there. So her second 1500, her second 5,000, like, Five or six years, we're just assuming she's going to stop the field after running heats, after running three rounds of the 1500, two rounds of the 5000. We don't know that. She's good in a one off. It could be hot. They, 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 they team up on her. She almost, no. So she, she's far from, far from a lock there. And I, I can easily see a, a, a 1500 upset, not easily, but, I, you know, favorites don't always win the men's 1500. And then, while I've said Inga Brinson is better in the 5,000, it seems on paper unbeatable in the 5,000. He hasn't run one this year. If it's super hot, how's he going to do? I don't know. What, Definitely I don't under understand why you keep wondering about if it's super hot. The World Championship final last year was hot and sunny. He took water during the race and he crushed everyone. Like, why are you so obsessed with this heat thing with Inga Brinson, Robert? What was the time in that race, John? Was that like 1324 or something? Exactly. He's he he's he's struggling in the heat so much he's got to take water in a thirteen twenty oh nine thirteen oh nine oh well what do you mean he's sense. struggling in the heat it was so freaking easy for him Robert that he could afford to take water it was a joke he still crushed everyone this is a uh, this is one of your sillier takes so what's the heat Jacob's gonna melt down in the heat come on man okay if it's a twelve fifty six race in the heat he'll be asking for a Gatorade bath actually LMNT. By the way, folks, are you struggling with your electrolytes? Get your LMNT. Well, then, what's the website? DrinkLMNT.com. Haven't you heard this? Weldon said it on our, website, on our podcast many times. Now I see this whole storyline of Yakim and the Heat was just a way to get an organic sponsor placement. So I, I tip my hat to you on that, Robert. That's not the right URL, John. It's changed. Don't go there and buy. Buy a new website. Just went to drinklmnt.com and that website, you can buy it right now. Is that incorrect? Well, then. There's always a link in the show notes, John. We had to get credit for the sale. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run or let's run.com slash drink. Do one of those two. So, link in the show notes. Uh, Guys, if you love the podcast, always check out the links. Buy from our links. Support the podcast. That's the way to do it. Well, over under three and a half golds. Kip Yegon, Ingebrigtsen. What are you taking? I mean, if we go back to my poker days, you got to go under. I think three is going to be where you're most likely to end up. I mean, even if you do Jakob seven out of eight times, times three out of five times, that's under 50%. He wins both, I assume. Well, I've done, I've done the math here well then. So let's call Kip Yegon a 90% favorite in the, fi- in the 1500. And then let's call Kip Yegon, Ingebrigtsen, and Ingebrigtsen 75% likely to win 
the other three events. That's sort of ballpark here. But even if that's the odds, you multiply all those together, it's 38% that they win gold in all four. So I agree. The, the math supports under three and a half. That's the smart bet. But my heart says they win all four. I just, I'm looking, I'm like, who beats these guys? Who beats Ingebrigtsen in a 5K? Who beats Kip Yegon in a 5K? I mean, I guess you could say Gudoff's the guy's a big kicker as well. Beatrice Chabet, she's a great runner as well. She can close, but I look at it like we've seen it happen. Someone will win the 10K. You're like, oh, how do they possibly lose the 5K? And then they get smoked. But Faith Kip Yegon, I just can't get, I guess Robert's thing with the rounds, it will be her fifth race of world championships and she's never doubled before. I guess that's the, the recipe. But when she ran 1405, she closed in a 60 second. Like she looked, she was running well record pace and it looked easy. She could have gone a lot faster, I think, if she'd been paced at like 14 flat. If you can drop a 60 second 400 at the end of a 1405, I just, I guess if she's tired, but I'm, I'm going to make a prediction. I think I said, I think they went both win all four, both win the double. As the former, only former high school math teacher on this podcast, so as the fourth grade Dallas City champion, mathematics Olympiad, co-champion with Weldon, the odds that you threw out there were off. Let's be even more gratuitous. 99% chance that Kip Yeager wins the women's 1,500. 90% chance Ingerbitson wins the 1,500. And then give them a 75% chance both to win the 5,000. Although I've always said he's better at the 5,000 than the 1,500. So that doesn't make any sense. But then you're only dealing 50% of the time that they win all four. Yeah, I think you inflated those odds. If Faith Kip Yagon, you think she's 99%? Like you think there's only one out of 100 times she gets an injury or something? I don't know. It is going to be fascinating. It's going to be one of the stories of the championships. I, I love it. These are two of the biggest stars in the sport. Generational talents. They're, go they're pushing themselves. They're trying for the double. Uh, John, John you've nailed it. Two of the biggest sports, generational talents, trying to double, and they're Americans. I'm so excited that Othing Mo is going for the 800, 1500-meter double. I mean, excuse me, the 400, 800-meter double. And then her training mate is doing the 400 hurdles, 400 double, and they're going to clash in the 400 after they win the golds. The TVs are going to explode. It's going to be like a Super Bowl rating. Oh, wait, that's not happening. Uh, yeah, Robert, I have some bad news. You might not have listened to our Friday 15 last week. Wella and I were having this discussion, and we got the news. Yeah, I, I was after you left. Sydney McLaughlin, the Vroni, she's not going to be in Budapest, Robert. I'm sorry. Not even for one race. Does Bobby Kersey have reduction clauses in his contract? I think we should discuss this topic briefly, though. We went into it. We gave our instant reactions on the Friday 15 for our Supporters Club members. And mine at the time was, how can it possibly be a minor knee issue if it's big enough for you to withdraw from the World Championships? Isn't that, by definition, a major injury? But then Bobby Kirsty gave his explanation to the LA Times. He says, well, it's a minor issue. She has been cleared to run through it, but... If she runs, it could develop into a major issue and they don't want that to happen. So from that that logic, I can kind of understand. But here's the thing. like Most track and field athletes, a world championship, if you have a minor issue, you show up and run because this is the meet 
to put it on the line for. It's for a gold medal. But Sydney McLaughlin and Navroni, she's already got two gold medals. So for her, she might just decide, why, why would I risk it? Because to win something, I've already won. Like the Olympics is more important to me. I'm not a fan of her skipping this meet, but that would be the rationale. I'm not a fan either, except for the fact that, one, it's confirming what I have said publicly in this podcast, that Fimkebol will be a 400-meter hurdle world champion before her life's over, and it's happening sooner than I anticipated. I said in some years, Sydney would get injured. Well, I guess she got injured right away or bored. But y'all's breakdown of this when it happened on the podcast after I signed off on Friday was an instant classic. Y'all nailed it. John, with your comment of, how can it be a minor injury if you're missing worlds? That's an oxymoron. 100% true. But the, the best part of it was, yo, you got the breaking news on your phone that it happened, and you started asking like, what the news was, and well, thought someone may have died or something like that. Once you said, no, someone's missing worlds, who is it? He instantly yelled out Sidney McLaughlin Lavroni. So it was so classic. I mean, of the thousands of competitors that could be missing the worlds, he instantly threw out her name. So... I want to see the medical report. I want to see the, the, the knee injury, see if it's really going to be aggravated. This whole thing is so annoying. Now, I, I, I think I wrote on the website that if this was a major sport, you wouldn't know what the injury was. Apparently, that's generally true, but sometimes they kind of like don't tell you exactly what the knee injury is. Like nine Ice hockey, they never give you any specifics. They just say upper body or lower body. Yeah, but like I was reading about some Dodger, Padre, or somebody who's out. They, they, they won't speak to the media about their injury. <sighs> well, the reason the reason why there is some skepticism about this injury explanation is just because Bobby Kersey has said all year, oh yeah, she he mentioned that she had knee pain in Monaco, but the whole time he's been saying nothing serious. She had an irritated hamstring and she pulled out of the LA Grand Prix. Kersey said it was nothing serious. Then he, she has an issue in Monaco. He, she pulls out because he says it's nothing serious. And now they're describing it as a minor knee issue. It's like, well, that doesn't sound genuine. If you've been dealing with it for a month and it's still serious enough for you not to run worlds, it sounds sounds pretty major to me. But I think the other thing that factors in here, Sydney McLaughlin-Lavroni doesn't like to race very often. She did not race a ton last year. She's barely raced at all this year. And she said in that video they came out with, she put after her Paris meet, she said she loathes race days. And that was just the stress and anticipation of competing. You know, once she gets on the race, she's like, I'm good, I'm fine. And her performances show. She very often delivers, she's produced some outstanding performances when she does run. But all the attention and the pressure that comes with the competing, she's in, been in the public eye for the last few years. I wouldn't be shocked if part of this is a knee issue and part of this is she just doesn't enjoy being out there as much because there's going to be a lot of attention and pressure and something she'd rather not deal with. With more time to think about it, John, I'm a little more forgiving. We're pretty harsh on her. I mean, she did miss Monaco. So there is something good going on, but it just comes back to she's the one athlete. Let's say she's this injury could like 5%, one out of 20 times develop into something else. Well, didn't she miss the Olympics? No. For her, she's like, no, sorry. I don't need to be a world champion. Who cares? Whereas every other athlete's like, yeah, I'm at the Worlds. Like, I have to be 
my legacy depends on it. I mean, just financially, there's probably very little repercussions for not being there. So her, the calculations going off with her and her team are very different. And then you factor in, like you said, she's not a huge fan of race day and stuff. So sucks for us, sucks for the sport. I guess we still got hanging on to a thing, Mo. Do you guys think she'll be at the Worlds? Thank you for asking that because you said every other athlete automatically goes to Worlds. She said she may not go Worlds. In the end, I think she's going to be there. I think she'll see the pushback that Sydney got in this. And why not? I I guess there is the belief that she just, she's afraid of losing, but I don't know. Uh, when I was, I, I did talk to Milton Mallard a, a week or two ago. He's like, she loves, she's not afraid of anybody. He acted like she was a good competitor. So if that's the case, why not show up? I hope she wins this and then now rises to the top, gets more fame and tries to become the top dog in this thing and does the 800, 400 double in Sydney's house next year. Now maybe Kersey wouldn't want to coach her. That would be interesting. But there was one other interesting thing that I, that I learned from when I talked to Milton Mallard. We're concerned that Kersey never coached any 100-meter runner, although some people think he may have coached Kim Gallagher back in the day. So old-timers help us out. But Milton said to me, he's like, I had never coached an 800-meter runner before. And, you know, they're mainly doing a lot of 400 work. And then he said something about, you know, learning from others. It sounded like he might have talked to Pete Julian on the phone. So if you're a smart coach, you're going to figure out how to give him a couple endurance workouts. But I think she's going to run. And if she run, and I think she's going to win. John, do you think she'll run? And if she runs, will she win? I don't think she'll run, but I do think she'll win if she runs because she never loses 800s. Uh, and she looked, I mean, she's only run two finals this year. She looked pretty damn good. I She's not like slacking. I'm sure she's trained, been training hard, but I'm still going to say she doesn't run because. If you're Bobby Kersey, why would you even float that out there if that's not something you were seriously considering? I think if you're even thinking about skipping Worlds, you've already got one foot out the door, and I think she doesn't do it. But I hope she runs. I think it's it's much better for the sport. It'll be great if she can develop a rivalry with Keely Hodgkinson. They're two outstanding athletes. They could be battling now for the rest of the 2020s. I want to see them race each other in Budapest. Why would you throw it out there, John? to make people beg for your attention. Please run to get people wanting you to feel wanted. Reminds me of a story back from my early dating days. A friend of mine, Melissa Johnson said, Robert, we're not going to make you, we're not going to beg for you to go out. Every weekend to be like, are we going out tonight? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I've got a long run tomorrow. I got to do this. And I'd always act like I didn't want to go out. And then they would say, oh, come on, Robert. You're so much fun to be out with. And I would eventually be talked into it. And she, she realized I would do the same thing every week to try to feel loved. She's like, we're not going to beg for you to come out tonight. We're going out. We'll see you later. It's like, oh, man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Speaking of being loved, I'm in the Adirondack Mountains. Drove up here yesterday. In-laws are here. They went to some lodge the other day. The Cornell cross-country team was there. My mother-in-law goes up to them and says, I'm like the mother-in-law of Weldon. Johnson and Robert Johnson. And she said immediately, these guys flipped out, we, Rojo and Weejo? 
So Rojo thought everyone at Cornell didn't know who he was. They were very excited. And she said it was not, she didn't even mention Let's Run. That was secondary. They were into Rojo. So Rojo, you may still have some cachet with someone under the age of 30. Under the age of 25, even. This feels great because when Weldon told me this story, John, he told what my five-year-old does. And I do the same thing, so it must be genetic. He told me the opposite story. He just made it up. He sent a picture of these Cornell kids, and he said they didn't even know who Rojo was, and my wife had, my mother-in-law had to tell them. And then I immediately sent that picture to my old boss, Nathan Taylor at Cornell, and, and, and the assistant coach, Kevin Thompson, says, they don't even know who we are, guys. And it's only, I guess it makes sense. It's been 11 years. So I was devastated. I, and then I found out I was just spreading fake news. So thank you, Cornell guys. I love you too. All right. A few more questions I have for you. I want to get people on the record here. American distance medals. I'm not going to count the 800 here. I'm saying the line one and a half hmm. over under. This is where I need my sound effects. Under. What if I set the line at half a medal over under? Over. So you, well, Robert's predicting one. Weldon, how many American distance medals? Male medals, 1,500 and up, you're saying. He didn't male say male, female. he said... Oh, male and female. By the way, the answer last year was zero. Just in case you were wondering. Which is the first time they had zero since... I mean, there's one guy who's going to be a betting favorite to get a medal. That would be Yarin. Right. But after that, I don't have a lot of confidence. I think we get one. I mean, there's some other people who could, you know, Woody could get one. We're not counting the eight, so like, forget about like Raven or... All right, let's do a thought experiment. Men's 1500 is obvious. I think we all expect Nagus to get a medal. But after that, let's rank the distance events most likely to medal to not a medal for Americans. I mean, I, I'm trying to think where we might even have a shot. Like, I mean, I guess if one of these superstar women, like in the women's tens out, then Monson would have some. No, oh, come on. on. No medals in the five women's five or 10. That's not happening. Men's 5K. I made the case on the Friday podcast. Adi Noor, dark horse medalist. Paul Shalimo has medaled three times in the past. I think they've got a shot there. I would probably yeah, percent each. Most likely because of that. After reading your 1500 preview, Rob, I wouldn't call this the third most likely, but you made a bit of a case here for Nikki Hiltz. They've had a great season. Some of these Ethiopians are unproven. Laura Muir's not running, or unproven at the championships. Laura Muir's not running as well as she has in previous years. I wouldn't pick Nikki Hiltz to, make it, to get a medal, but there is a pathway there, maybe. There's no Sagai. There might not be any Hassan either. Probably not. So, Well, first of all, if she does medal, do we put an asterisk next to it like we put an asterisk next to Rupp's Olympic marathon medal for when I mean, Rupp mechanically doped in that race? Hiltz in this race would just be lucky that Sagay Hassan did not run. But well, this happens. Yeah, I put no. Look, I think it's men's fifteen hundred, men's five thousand. I don't know. Women's steeple is the third best for me, higher than the women's fifteen hundred. I, I wrote the preview with Alex, our intern, in there, and I just started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, there's an eight fifty seven teenager. There's a nine flat teenager. They both went out in the heats last year at Worlds. Then you got Chip Koech, who's 
been pretty good this year, but hasn't meddled in a while. I, I just don't have a lot of faith in, in these teenagers who haven't done it before. And then, I don't know, Emma Coburn, Chrissy Gear's got a sick kick, and Emma Coburn, as, as bad as her season's been, she's she's run three steeples, and she's chopped up about 10 seconds every time she's run it. Yeah, the thing with Coburn, if this was the Coburn of two years ago, I'd say she was primed to medal, maybe even win, because she had such a great championship record. Her Olympics was horrible. Her Worlds last year was not very good. And she hasn't been running quite as fast in 2023. I mean, she got beat at USA. So I I do see that path for a medal, Robert. But yeah, I don't feel great about it. I do think Kira D'Amato's got a shot in the marathon as well. I mean, there's some pretty fast Ethiopians and Kenyans, but D'Amato, we know she's in great shape. She just set the American record in the half marathon. I think she could be a factor in there as well. I, I'm going to go out and say two medals for the Americans. I think Nagus gets one. And I think one other event, I think the men's 5K is the best shot at it, but I think between all those other events, they can, they get at least one. So I'll say two distance medals for the United States of America in 2023. Well, if you're counting marathon, maybe. I think she's got a good shot. In terms of the track events, how does this order sound? From most likely to least likely to medal for America. Men's 1,500, men's 5,000, women's steeple, women's 1,500, men's 10,000, Men's steeple, women's 10,000, women's 5,000. Who's meddling in the men's steeple? That's not happening. Okay, put that below last. That's, that's, I think that's lost. No, I mean, I know. Two, of those no, medals no. Are, two of those medals are, get, are locked up. And then you're just saying Kenneth Rooks might be able to run. Yes. My thought, was maybe Kenneth, my thought is maybe Kenneth Rooks is just insane and we I don't mean, know. Like, isn't he? Isn't he? Him just being an unknown, a, a bigger quantity than than any of the women, like beating than Monson somehow meddling in the ten. And that's to make it food poisoning in the ten, knock out a couple people. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe only one. Maybe one or two. All those three are basically the same. They're all around like one percent or something. Okay. Speaking of the men's steeple, this was another one of my big questions. This I can't believe we haven't talked about this race yet. They need to be hyping this thing. World record holder, Lamecha Goma, the man who has come very close to gold. He was 100th of a second away in 2019, but he's missed a silver medal. Silver in the last three global championships. Going up against Sufyan El-Bakali, the world record holder and the Olymp- sorry, the world champion and Olympic champion. So world Olympic champion against the world record holder. This is going to be terrific. They haven't raced this year. Gum or El Bacali? That's the question. Who you got? I think I got El Bacali. Just got feel. I mean, he always beat Gurma. So I guess Gurma's at another level this year, but the consistent storyline, I'm sticking to it. What do you think, John? I agree. The, one of these guys can kick and one cannot. And the guy who can kick, okay, he didn't break the world record. He ran a personal best of 7.56 this year. That's El Bacali. I think, I mean, how does Goma win this race? Does she? Did, he might have to set a world record to drop El Bacali in this race. And I think that's a lot to ask in a world championship final. So I'm taking the kicker over the guy who can't kick. Well, I wrote the preview with this along with Alex. 
And look, John, what you said is right. I mean, historically, Al Bakali has owned Gurma seven to one in the steeple. But I ultimately picked Gurma. We were torn on this. I always picked Al Bakali. And here's what I wrote. Before this year, Al Bakali had the advantage of being faster and the better kick. There was no way he was going to be dropped. And then there was no going to beat him over the final 100. Now Gurma has the better PB. And he's got the faster 1,500-meter PB. He's run an Ethiopian record in the 1,500. I know that the 1,500 speed is not the same thing as changing gears, John. But he's run 329 for 1,500. So that was one thing. And then ultimately I said Gurma's just 22 years of age. The gap between them has been shrinking. Three of Elba Colley's first four wins over Gurma were by more than a second. None of his last three wins have been more than by a second. I love how Gurma's only raced one steeple. Last year he'd run four. And just Gurma, the more I think about it, like couldn't he end up being one of the greats? And I'm not talking just steeplechase greats. Like he's losing a lot because he's so young. If he's really only 22, this, that means this guy was like winning like world championship medals in the silver in like 17 or 18 or whatever. It's insane. So th there was another preview where someone had never beaten them before and they started beating them. It, it just, eventually it happens. Like the age gap changes in your favor. It's a good argument, Robert. I, I'm not saying like Gurma doesn't have a shot. It's funny, like we're talking the world record holder in this event and he's an underdog, but I think he should be. This is why it's so great, though. It's a contrast in styles. They're two fantastic athletes. We haven't seen them run against each other yet this year. Like, you know, Timothy Cheria used to beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen every time. And he was a few years older. Then suddenly Jakob beat him at the Olympics, and he's barely lost to him since. So sometimes these things do flip, but I think the difference is El Bacali has a skill that I haven't seen from Goma yet. That's his big change of gears at the end of a race. So that's why I'm still going El Bacali. For the record, El Bacali, huge favorite. 74% to win. When is that? Well, how often does that happen? That a guy who set the world record two months ago is a huge underdog in the world championships. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's a little high. So he's at 28%. I'd probably say he wins it in like a third of the time. Maybe, I don't know. You know, there's, there's a little uncertainty, but, but I, I see a pathway to the victory now. I'm not betting El Bacali, and those odds, I'll say that much. I wouldn't either. I mean, they raced on a flat 3,000. Germa won 726 to 733. I think that was in Doha. And intern Alex came up with a great stat. You know, it seems like the way for Gurma to win would be just to set the pace. Now it's hard. It's kind of like the 1500. Is he, you know, if you've got to be two seconds better than someone in the 1500 to break him, how much do you need to be four seconds better than them in the staple? Like, what's the difference in their PRs, John? It's four seconds. But yeah. also, leading but, the steeple is kind of weird because you get the advantage of getting a cleaner run at the barrier. Like, people don't really mind. Well, you know, it, the right. thing doesn't make as much as, of a difference. People don't really mind leading in the steeple that much. I've said that. It, you, it's much, it's, it's one event, but it doesn't matter if it's hot, it's cold, windy, whatever. You can run a fast time, almost any condition. It's, it's just weird because you're not running that fast. And then Trent Alex came up with a stat. It's like, he should be confident he can, he can pace this thing out fast if he wants to make it fast. He only had a rabbit for three minutes and 20 seconds in his world record. Like, the rabbit was slowing him down. 
And then he just took over and did it himself. So, I mean, there's just like that race itself could be hyped up. And then the women's five with the four gold medalists and the, the women's tens got three superstars and the men's tens got all these studs. Although I'm a little bummed out that Caplimo dropped out 15. It's just going to be an amazing world. It really is the sprinting Mondo Krauser. Can't wait. All right. We're going to give more previews of these events. Once the world starts, we have these daily podcasts and, you know, we'll talk about how these events are shaping up after the heats and that sort of thing. One other question I did want to ask you guys about Worlds. We've got another showdown. 400-meter hurdles. Carsten Warholm, the world record holder, world and Olympic champion, against Ry Benjamin, who's got silver the last three global championships. Benjamin looked great at USA. He's ran 46.62. But Warholm's gone even faster. He's run 46.51, 46.52 this year. Is this just more of the same? Warholm shows up and gets it done again? Or could Ry Benjamin finally take him down and get the gold medal? I think this is going to be fantastic. They've been running faster than they did before the all-time classic of a race at the 2021 Olympics. So I'm looking forward to it. But just curious if anyone's on Benjamin Island or if we're all Warholm fans here. Well, I'm not fans, but, you know, picking Warholm. Picking? I'm glad oh, I'm not a... Fr- Unlike John, I'm not afraid to say I am a fan. John doesn't have fans. He doesn't. He's never rooted for an athlete in his life. He says track the peep track and field athletes since I started covering the sport. I mean, maybe Abby Cooper because I actually went to college with her, but generally no. The sport's so boring, Robert, that it doesn't even inspire John to be a fan for anyone. I'm going with Warholm. He's had a magnificent season. And I'm upset that my guy has not been mentioned here, Dos Santos. He's the Djokovic of the of this event. He's younger than the other two. Benjamin's never won. Dos Santos has won. He's another guy that we need to be praising. He's got a great personality. He's been injured, had a major knee surgery at the beginning of the year, was supposed to be out for the season, is already back competing on the damn circuit. Well, I do well, think pam- people thought he was supposed to be out, and then I think it's people thought he was having like ACL surgery. It was meniscus surgery, and there's a quicker time timeline. But yes, yeah, so it was a pleasant surprise that he returned to running. He got smoked in Monaco. He just didn't look totally fit. I think it's hard to ask him to turn that around in about a month to Worlds. He ran 47.6. He's going to be need to like, he might need to be a second and a half better than that to win gold. But yeah, I'm picking Warholm. But if you're going to make a case for Benjamin, he ran 46-6-2 at USA's. He looked great. And he said he'd barely hurdled in the eight weeks since Doha because he had an injury. If he's been healthy the last month, maybe he can get to 46-0, 46-1. I could see it. I'm still going Warholm because these two guys always race and Warholm always wins when he's healthy. But I don't know. I'm, I'm still really excited to see this final. Why would Benjamin win? He's not as good as Warholm when they're on top of their game, and he's been injured. So, to me, this is a simple answer. Warholm. He's been healthy. He's been racing. He's going to crush well, him. The, the thinking is, if War, Benjamin's been injured, and yet he ran at USA's basically the same time Warholm's been running this season. Warholm's run 46-5 twice. Benjamin ran 46-6. But Warholm's been healthy. Training's been going well. 
the same was not true for Benjamin. So hints to the ceiling. I if Warholms run forty five nine, and I think he could do that again at the at the Worlds, but that's the case for Benjamin. Is if he runs forty six six when he wasn't totally healthy, what can he do when he is? All right, enough Worlds talk. Let's talk briefly about this Justin Knight to Bowman Track Club signing, John, that you had up. You had a Q and you talked to both Chris Fox, the coach, old coach of Justin Knight in college and with the Reebok Track Club, and Knight himself about the move. I loved it because one, it, it, it devastates all the Jerry and Bowerman Track Club haters who say, oh, the team's on the decline. They suck. No one's going to want to go there. And I was like, there was a, this talk in the message board. I'm like, are people stupid? Like, are people really that stupid? Like, when Nike calls, normally you're interested. And then if you're a distance runner and you sign with Nike, it's nice to have structure. What, what team are you going to go to? Like, great. The results haven't been amazing this year. And Woody Lafton is running great for Mike Smith, but where else are you going to go? And we've seen a number of high-profile athletes sign up with them. So I just like to see those people who didn't know what they're talking about sort of eat a little crow. Now, it is a little bit surprising to me in the sense of some people are saying Justin Knight is like very lightly trained. And he's joining a program that's known for super high mileage. And he's coming off an injury for two years. Is this a good fit? That was my question, Robert. Is I don't Jerry Schumacher is an outstanding coach. I've always said that. I think the departures from the team changes that. But he is known as a my way or a high, or the highway guy. Um, and the question is, you know, we, we've listened to Grant Fisher when he was on the Let's Run podcast last year. He's like, yeah, the first year with Bowerman. I mean. And it was hell. It was a real adjustment. I was getting dropped all the time. It was brutal. And if you can survive that and adapt to their system, the results can be fantastic. My question is, is Jerry going to ease him in with the mileage? Is he going to ease him in with the workouts when he's coming back from a major injury that has cost him two years of his career? Or is he just going to say, hey, here are the paces. Hang on as long as you can. If he takes the former approach, yeah, I think if he can get healthy, the guy's super talented. Does make me wonder, like, you know, if Jerry, I think there are other more flexible coaches that could have been a better fit. But like Chris Fox said, I do think Jerry's smart enough to figure it out. He's going to realize, Jerry's not going to be like, oh, I'll just throw you in and have you do exactly the same mileage and workouts as Grant Fisher. He's going to know he's coming back from injury. But I am very curious to see how that adjustment goes. The other thing, because I think there's a lot of room for potential. Like Chris Fox, when he's held Justin back, I don't think it's been because he doesn't think he can one day get up to those big miles. You know, 75 miles a week is basically the most he was running. I think it's more, hey, he's running 12.51 on 75 miles a week. Why would I push it more than I need to early? So I think he can get up there. He also has never trained at altitude before. So that's another... Potential Huge. performance boost. Look, to, to me, I, there were so many things I loved about the stories. It reminded me of stuff in my own career. I had Achilles problems. People were like, how could this go on for two years? Because he would train for a month or two, feel pretty good, and then it would start to come back. And then you don't want to do surgery unless you're certain. The doctor one told me to take six weeks totally off. You're just always trying. You think you feel good. And it doesn't really hurt until like you get up to like 70 miles a week. Like that's the thing. He was like, did your Achilles always, anyone remember Chris Jarek five years ago? They said his Achilles hurting. I'm like, he needs to have it operated on me. It just never got better. 
And I'm like, people ask me though, did the surgery work? I'm like, I think, but I never know because I never got over 80 miles a week again the rest of my life. But so I'm glad that he's healthy. But there was one other thing he said in this, in this thing. He's like, oh, you know, I work really hard to get there. Come on, dude. This guy was like, I know we all think we work hard, but to me, American heart is putting in the miles. This guy was running like 30 miles a week. It's it's at, at, at the beginning of his Syracuse career. It was like insane. Now he's up to 70. So I still think like, my God, the potential for this kid is still insane. Get the Achilles healthy. I don't think it's going to happen in 2024 because there's not enough time. But you get him up to 100 miles a week eventually. He's gradually been building up. Get that up there. And maybe he's two more 1,500, He's got good speed. Maybe he never can do that. I'm not saying I wish you run him miles a week. but And then you put him in altitude. But my biggest complaint about Fox is he's not an altitude guy. That's like being a denier of gravity. Like, I, I don't understand that. How, how are you not an altitude guy? It's like legal PEDs. That's what it is. So to me, this makes a lot of sense. He admires Mohamed, a Canadian legend. He's now on the team with him. Like, other than it, it, Mike Smith letting you on the team, where else is he going to go? There's no other group in America that's good enough for him. On Athletics Club? Forgot about them, huh? Yeah. Forgot about them. No, I, I, Robert, I think he's super talented. Yeah, outrageously talented. Like you said, this guy was winning NCAA cross and he was running, what, like 60 miles a week or something? Like, when has that ever happened before? But there are not a lot of athletes who miss two of their prime years and then just come back and return to that same level. It's very difficult to do. I wish him the best of luck, but it's just, man, it's, it's a long way back for to get back to 1251 after missing most of two years of yeah, he's running, but he really wasn't running serious workouts or anything. That's just a, a lot of volume and a lot of possible improvements that he missed out on. So I agree. I think if he is going to get back to his previous level, it's going to be 25 or 26, probably not next year. The one other thing I wanted to discuss, we got some news from World Athletics on Monday, future host sites of global championships the world under 20 champs will be back in Eugene in 2026. They also hosted that meet at 2014 at the old Haywood field. But the one that really excited me, San Diego will be hosting the 2025 world road running championship. So that's the meet formerly known as the world half. Now it includes a 5k and a mile. That's that to me is great. San Diego, good running city. They have the foot lockers there or what used to be called foot lockers. I can't wait for that. I think that's going to be a really fun weekend. Really cool city. I've never been, so it'll be a fun trip. It's kind of cool to see all these American cities bidding for and getting these championships. We had Eugene 2022 Worlds. Eugene has a Diamond League final this year. Next year, sorry, 2025, now we've got the World Half and World 5K. 2026, World Cross is in Tallahassee. And the World Juniors... Eugene and then 2028 LA Olympics. So for American track fans, for a while, we weren't having that many meets in the United States, but you've got a bunch over the next few years. I think this should be a really fun weekend in San Diego. Congrats to San Diego. I was shocked by this. I had no idea they're bidding. I wonder if Mev is somehow involved with this, but Sports San Diego, I guess they have a sports commission. Great. Get people from all over the world to come. Expose San Diego to the world. I mean, it's a great running town. So... 
psyched to see this. And I forgot about World Cross John in Florida. Like, I mean, the, the sport is so popular after World Class John in Eugene, so it's just great that we're just going on this and all the way to LA 2028. It's kind of a joke about the World Class John. It was a great meet, but I think everyone's saying, oh, the sport will be radically changed by it. It's crazy. That's not how it works. But incremental grains, and also, it's just great for track and field fans in America. If you guys didn't listen to us and didn't buy your tickets for Hungary, you can still fly over there and look at, you know, 1100 bucks. You can still do it, but you'll be able to see the world's best in San Diego or Florida. Yeah, remember, that we're tentatively planning a letsrun.com meetup at the World Championships. It will probably be in the early evening, maybe 5 p.m.-ish on the night of the men's 1500-meter final. That's August 23rd. We'll finalize the details once we get to Budapest. We figure out a place to stage it. We'll have an announcement to come. But keep if you're in Budapest and you want to meet us for a beer, talk some track and field, that is the day you want to try to keep open on your calendar, the 23rd. I'm going to start a thread on this, John, so you can everybody can just bookmark the thread. But I had to step away for a second. Did you guys... I don't even know if I told you. Some guys from Norway emailed us. They're down for the meetup. They said they'd buy us beers. But no, no, no. Supporters Club members, we buy you beers. That's how it works. It's one of the perks of being in the Supporters Club. And remember, you want daily podcasts. You got to be a Supporters Club member. Let's run.com slash subscribe. We have a Supporters Club member in Hungary because they were posting the message board last week. So they should tell us where to go. Email me, Robert, at Let's Run. But look, Worlds is going to be amazing, but it'll be even more fun if you enter the betterrunningshoes.com prediction contest. We're going to have some sweet watches from Sunto as the prize. Enter today. It's much more fun when you can enter your group with your friends, bragging rights. I will yet again win the LRC group or the Ivy League group that we do. See you guys soon.